comes another edition of Talking Fußball Direct, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman. This week, we are all hands on deck in our analysis, as we are anytime our league's undisputed overlords, FC Bayern, drop points. With me to take up that challenge is a guest straight out of the top drawer. You will know him as soon as he starts speaking on the mic but I'm just going to introduce him anyway. It's Derek Ray. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Thank you for that introduction. I've never had one like that before. Unbelievable. So I appreciate it. <laughs> Good to be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you back. We've got lots to talk about this week. As I mentioned at the top, Bayern did drop points to Gladbach. Surprise, surprise. We'll be right back with that and the rest of the best and the rest of Match Day 4. But, you know, while we all get ready for that, please do subscribe to the pod. Give us a nice rating if you like. It helps get the word out to new listeners. If you really like us, become a supporter on on Patreon. We got tons of timeless content over there. A whole new season of our history series, uh, Historic Match Day Moments, is running. The most recent one was about the return to the Bundesliga of a World Cup winning hero, though not the one you're thinking of, I think. Be right back. Here comes part one of Talking Foosball Direct, the part where we talk about the best of the match day just gone. This is Matt Herman here. I'm here with Derek Ray. Hooray, hooray. We basically need to start at the top of the league, not only because it's the top of the league, but because something shocking happened. Mm. Well, kind of shocking. We talked about Bayern last week on the show, their irrepressible dominance, but I suppose the football gods could do nothing else but wag their fingers at us and bring us this result, though. You know, if there was a foosball gut on the pitch on Saturday night. It was Jan Zomar. He helped uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach to a 1-1 draw with Bayern. He made 19 saves to hold a more or less rampant Bayern to that uh, one-point haul. Derek, where does this goalkeeping performance stack up in some of the great ones you've seen over the years? I think it goes down as one of the truly great goalkeeping performances. And Jan Zoma is that sort of keeper. I've seen him make mistakes. I've seen him have stinkers. But when he is on, he is really on. And he's really wired in and focused. And it was just one of those nights for Bayern. I mean, they could have won the game 4-5-6-1, but for Jan Zoma. So I think we have to stress that this was the Sommer show. Gladbach as a team, did they do that much in the game? Not an awful lot, really. You know, I, yeah, you know, they, they managed to get themselves in front through Marcos Turam. But other than that, it was pretty much the traffic flow incessantly towards Jan Sommer. And I remember covering him at the Euros last year. And, you know, he had a couple of games like that. And Gladbach are really going to want to hang on to Zoma. He's a cult hero. He's a very fine goalkeeper. And 19 saves, Matt, it speaks for itself. Yeah. I remember over the course of the summer when his name was linked to Nice, among other clubs, and thinking what an absolute disaster that would be for Gladbach. And, you know, it seems like that club has sort of the atmosphere has changed a little bit around there and, and that more players are thinking more about long-term futures there, which I think is hugely encouraging. But I wanted to sort of pick your brain quickly about Gladbach's uh, <laughs> real run of success against Bayern. I mean, they beat them two out of three times last season. They seem to, you know, snatch a point here or there just about every season from them. They alone among the rest of the Bundesliga just seem to know what to do. 
against Bayern? Is, has it become mental for maybe both sides of this rivalry? I think there's an element of that. I think, yeah, you know, players come to a club and they don't necessarily know the history, but strange things happen in football and history is undeniably a part of it. And when we talk about history, I'm always reminded by especially Gladbach fans and even some Bayern fans that the original Klassica in German football was Bayern against Borussia Mönchengladbach back in the 1970s. And they were the standard setters back then. Nowadays, we talk about Dortmund and Bayern as the Klassiker. Some people think it's a bit of a marketing tag, that there's not genuineness behind it. Uh, but Gladbach and Bayern, you know, it, it is a, a fixture with a story, with a, a past story, and a recent past story as well. Only look at last season, as you mentioned, in the Pokal, and also in the Bundesliga twice, you know, Gladbach gave them a hard game. And yeah, maybe we should have seen this coming. You know, maybe after the start that Bayern made, we should have said to ourselves, Gladbach are the team who are going to put them to the test and they certainly did that uh, having said that it wasn't a great Gladbach performance you know at the same time they were up against the best team in the Bundesliga one of the best teams in Europe so you have to modify your approach on that basis it was gripping theatre I have to say it was one of the few times when I sensed and social media is a strange thing because it, it's a, a you know a microcosm of, of real life but it, it feels as though it's real life to those of us who are in the the wider Bundesliga community. And it felt like one of those occasions when everybody with an interest in the Bundesliga uh, was hanging on that game, you know, and every little detail that went on and every save by Zoma. And I, I do think we need occasions like that as Bundesliga fans and commentators and journalists, anybody with a love for the Bundesliga. Uh, we need to have these games that bring the best out in us and allow us to share the love that we have for this league. Yeah, I'm always so pleased, especially when you have these games that are picked out as as the, you know, the DFL calls it the top spiel, top the spiel one that, yeah. that runs on Saturday night in Germany and, you know, Saturday afternoon over here in North America. When that featured game turns out to be an actual humdinger, whether it's tons of goals or a close game or an upset, it makes me so happy because it's like you know, when you get that showcase, like please, please use it. Yeah. This is something that struck me as a little weird. Julian Nagelsmann, you know, Bayern's coach, after this game, he told our our mutual friend, uh, Archie Rinta, yes. that he really felt the referee, Daniel Schlager, had showed a pattern of giving all the close calls to Gladbach. Is this just a distraction? Is this an excuse? Is this uh, a fit of peak? I thought it was a bit weird. Yeah, it took me by surprise as well. It wasn't what was on my mind as the main theme after the game. But credit to Archie, who, as you mentioned, is one of my best friends and, and somebody you know well also. And at ESPN, we're very lucky to have him on board. And he waited for the right time to ask that question. And the thing is, you never quite know how a coach is going to reply to it. But he probably had a good sense what Julian Nagelsmann's answer was going to be. But maybe Archie himself couldn't have imagined that it would be as strong as it was in terms of the comments that the, the Bayern coach made. And, um, you know, for him to say that and then afterwards to, to say that he was probably then going to, to get a, a strafe, a, a, a fine, 
again, that's a bit of an unexpected bonus as a reporter. So, yeah, I think sometimes coaches go through this and I think sometimes they have to just let off steam and and he did that. But, you know, it was a good Bayern performance. You can't really criticise Bayern for an awful lot. When you have a goalkeeper who's playing like a man-possessed as Zoma was and you've still fired on all cylinders you've got great performances out of certain players especially Levi Zane uh, in this game I think who is maybe an acquired taste as far as some are concerned and one or two doubts about his Bayern future but uh, there were very few failures in that Bayern team but Nagelsmann was interesting and Archie and I do talk a lot about you know how best to interview some of these people we talk probably every couple of days not just about that but that sometimes comes up and as I say I'm proud to call him a friend and a colleague because he goes to a level of preparedness that is quite rare yep yep I love the guy Okay, so Bayern, you know, they had a bit of a letdown in the league this weekend. But, you know, that's obviously not their only focus. They, of course, they've got their makeup match in the cup coming up. They've got uh, Champions League on the slate now. They've got their draw. I thought maybe for a team who's who's really a highly seeded team, I thought they got a really tough draw in the Champions League. They got Barcelona, Inter, and Victoria Pilsen. How well do you think they're going to cope with that group, especially their big reunion with uh, Robert Lewandowski? I think they'll be fine. I take your point. I think as a top seed, you're entitled to think you might get something a little bit more palatable than that. Because, yeah, Barcelona are not what they were, but they have Lewandowski. I've watched him a fair bit in his short time already with with Barca. And, you know, they they are getting better, you would say that. So I I don't think we're going to have repeats of the the thrashings that Bayern have handed out uh, at Barcelona's expense in recent years. I think it will be a lot tighter. Inter, likewise, you know, great traditional club. And uh, that will be a memorable game. There'll be two memorable games between Bayern and Inter. But I think on quality, Bayern have the edge. And um, likewise, Victoria Pilsen, certainly respect will go out to them. But I would still think that if Bayern don't win and win handily uh, in that group coming out on top, it would be a surprise. All right. All right. I'm a little bit more circumspect, but but not a lot more. I just feel like when yeah. the pedigree of, of Barcelona and Inter, when you're a pot one team and you pick those two for two and three, eh, eh, you got a little bad luck. I'll tell you what I'd look out for, Matt, uh, against Barcelona is to me, Barca have a problem on the right-hand side of their defence. They don't really have a proper right back. So that's an area where Bayern, who are pretty strong on their left-hand side going forward, that's an area where they can really make hay, especially if Ronald Araujo is playing at right back. He's a good defender, but he's not a right back. And it's something that Barca need to address. Perhaps they will address it this week. But I, I think there are still holes in that Barca team that Bayern can take advantage of. All right. You heard it here first from... Uh a La Liga broadcaster, Derek Ray. His other hat. Yes, my occasional hat. <laughs> it's not quite as big as my Bundesliga hat, but it's... Uh... <laughs> not many have Bundesliga hats as big as yours. <laughs> <laughs> Stefan Baumgart might, uh, might rival it. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. All right, so let's move on to uh, one of the teams who benefited from Bayern's slip-up. Of course, their, their usual pursuer in the league table, that's Borussia Dortmund. They took down Hertha 1-0 
in Berlin. If you look at the expected goals on both of these games, Bayern versus Gladbach as well as Hertha versus Dortmund, they actually tell a really similar tale. It's around three goals for the favorite, less than one goal for the underdog. So, you know, plenty of chances for Dortmund to have put this game away. But still, you know me and who I support. I was still shouting at the TV, full of hope in the dying minutes. Mm. Um, you wrote this week, Derek, in, in your ESPN column that you thought that Dortmund were off to a pretty shaky start, that they yeah. you know, hadn't really convinced you that they were not firing at all cylinders. Does this result or this performance change that for you at all? Not significantly, but a little bit. I, I think it was better. I think it was more solid, but by no means perfect. I, I think there are still problem areas in that Dortmund side. I thought for a while the fullback positions are problem areas. Didn't see too much of this game to make me change my mind on that. You know, Rafael Guerrero last season was not at it and hasn't started off particularly well in this campaign. And we saw Matthias Weiss playing it right back. That to me is not a permanent solution there. You know, Meunier did come on, but uh, there are doubts about him as well. So they've tried to reconfigure the defence. Schlotterbeck obviously has been a big hit and I think is going to continue to be a big hit. But we haven't seen much from Zula only a few minutes because of the injury situation and Hummels has played more than I think we expected. Now in other areas, yeah, you know, Bellingham, Jib Bellingham is a leader and didn't think he played very well against Werder Bremen, thought it was maybe his worst uh, Dortmund performance, but pretty good again at the weekend. They've got Adeyemi back now, Julian Brandt is playing a little bit more and of course Anthony Modeste got off the mark which was significant and symbolic and of course it took the Kern connection for Modeste to get off the mark mm-hmm. and, and you know I'm sort of saying that jokingly as, as somebody with, with FC very much in my own heart but I'm also making the point that Modeste in Kern scored his goals because Kern basically were geared up to allowing him to score goals by crossing you know in a manner that most teams don't furiously more than any side in the Bundesliga and that's something Dortmund I think are going to have to look at going forward if they want to get the best out of Anthony Modeste because they're not a crossing side and you know I, I don't think they're going to suddenly morph into into Kern into a Stefan Baumgart type team but um, it, it, it did make me smile that it was Zali Özcan who, who I, I think has deserved his chance yes he's been injured but he's somebody who needed to, to play at the weekend and did and was excellent and Marco Reus is still classy you know there are still elements of Dortmund that make you think yeah they're pretty good they're in pretty good shape but I just think these areas of weakness are going to once in a while cause them problems as they did against Bremen as they did against Freiburg as well I, I didn't think they played very well against Freiburg but got away with it and even in the opener against Leverkusen I thought they were hanging on and I was there for that game in the stadium and um, they were richly praised for being able to manage the game for showing a gritty side yeah that's good I I take that on board but um, yeah it, it hasn't quite fired yet maybe that's to be expected with Edin Terzic back in and with a few new players in as well yep yep I think you're right that uh, Sally Ozjan is going to add something yeah. to this side especially in tandem in tandem with Modeste. They never prioritized that sort of crossing game. And, no. you know, if you got somebody who could do it that well and already has a connection with your, your new top striker, Why not? you might as well keep him the side a while. Yeah. You know, Dortmund did have a draw in the Champions League this week as well. They got Manchester City, Sevilla, and FC Copenhagen. How do you rate their chances? Are, are the sort of performances that they've shown thus far in the Bundesliga going to see them stagnate in the Champions League again? 
I think what they produced so far in the Bundesliga would make it touch and go in terms of getting out of that Champions League group. I mean, Manchester City, you know, anything that they get from games against Manchester City, anything anybody gets against Manchester City is a bonus. I look at this as a fight between Dortmund and Sevilla for the second spot. Copenhagen could be in the running as well. I don't think we can count them out. But I think Sevilla could be the, the dangerous team. Now, they've, they've tended to perform in the Europa League more than in the Champions League, and certainly that was the case last season. But uh, there is quality there. So I, I would, I think that is what Dortmund would be looking at. They'd be probably saying, OK, you know, we'll, we'll see if we can get something against Manchester City. Sevilla, perhaps the same, and somebody might somewhere along the line. But yeah, Sevilla, for me, the big danger is to Dortmund in that group. Yeah. Spare a quick word. For Hertha, they are, you know, they're second bottom now. Yeah. Just one point to their name at the moment. But the mood among supporters has stayed really calm thus far. The thinking more or less is that, yes, they were outclassed in the derby, the opener in, in Copenhagen, but have otherwise been pretty much in all the other games against quality teams, Eintracht, Gladbach, and now Dortmund. Is that too rosy an outlook, or is that actually a fairly realistic way of looking at it? I think part of the reason for the calmness, and you've rightly said there is an element of calm there, part of the reason is that I think most of the fans are quite enthused about the new president, Kai Bernstein, who used to be one of them, used to be you know, a child of the Kurve, if you like, used to be part of the active fan scene, and I think has made some very well thought out remarks around the beginning of the season and everybody pulling together and and trying to have that passion envelop the club. I commentated on them recently against Eintracht Frankfurt, that game that you mentioned, Matt. And yeah, they had some good spells in that game. It wasn't from top to bottom a great performance and they're still feeling their way somewhat. But I, I think I'm not as worried about Hertha as I might be about some other teams. And I think we're going to judge them more on the games against teams who I think will be in their sector of the table. Because I did the start of the season predict, and I'm probably still in, in this camp now, that Hertha would be somewhere from 12th to 14th, you know, that sort of, sort of range. I'm not sure that they're much better than that at the moment. But, you know, they brought in players like Ajuke, like Conga, um, who's been a bit of a hitter. I miss Lukabaki, uh, of course, is is with the club again and can turn on the style almost at the drop of a hat, and then just as quickly kind of fade out of a game. He's a, a bit of a uh, a frustrating player from that point of view. But I think with people like Suat Serdar, with uh, Luca Toussaint, who's becoming ever more a leader, Marvin Plattenhardt, of course, Christensen, the goalkeeper, who I quite like. Um, I, I think younger goalkeeper, and maybe a bit unlucky last season, the turn of events, but I think he's the, the person they're putting their hopes on. John Joe Kenny, still to kind of get into a rhythm with Hertha, played in the Bundesliga before for Schalke. We'll see if he's the answer at right back. But I, I think... Yeah, looking at Hertha, I think under Sandro Schwartz, they're going to be okay. Yeah, I'm feeling decent about them. I am concerned, however, about the sort of – it's not just profligacy in front of goal. It's not just uh, you know not taking chances. In the last couple of games, there's been very poor decision-making yeah. and, and a degree of, of players trying to do too much. Players basically getting the ball to the edge of the area and then thinking – 
well, hell, I got to shoot it now, as opposed to just taking a moment, <laughs> looking at their surroundings and figuring out what the actual best thing to do with the ball is. And I don't know if that's something, I mean, Luca Bacchio is, a, is, as you say, a fairly frustrating player or can be. Um, I don't know Ajuke or Congo well enough. I've watched them play <laughs> three or four times, but they are sort of moving in that direction. Yeah. I'm a little worried about actually finishing off chances. Yeah, no, I think it's something that it was a problem last season as well. And, you know, Stefan Jovetic, when he comes on, you don't know if he's going to finish the chances either. You know, he can be hot and cold. And so, yeah, I think there's going to have to be some patience. But I think that they will be able to make it count in the games where they need to make it count. And, you know, I'm thinking in terms of, as I say, teams who I think are going to be in trouble. Teams like Augsburg, teams like Bochum, teams like Schalke. Um, so I, I think if you analyze what they've got versus those teams I've mentioned and maybe a couple of others, uh, I'm still thinking that Hertha will be, you know, 12th, 13th, 14th at worst. Oh, yeah. I think I think 12th is really their goal yeah. this season. If they can get to 12th, everyone's happy. Let's move on now to a team who has slightly higher aims. Uh, we're going to round out the top half of the show with, with the third of Germany's five, five Champions League side this season. Eintracht Frankfurt, they came out on top of a real sidewinder of a game against Werder Bremen. Mario Götze, he put the Eagles up 1-0 early, but Bremen looked like they might pull off another comeback win as Anthony Jung and then uh, Leonardo Bittencourt uh, scored in quick succession. After the latter picked up an injury and left the game on the half-hour mark. Frankfurt pretty much took over. They had the lead by halftime. They were 4-2 up early in the second half. Werner did get a late goal from Niklas Füllkrug on a penalty. But somehow, some way, Oliver Burke just wasn't able to score a last-minute goal. What a, what a, what a jerk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, concept. Yeah. You know, this was a lovely, lovely way to round out the, the weekend. This was a super entertaining game for a neutral. Are you convinced by this Frankfurt that, you know, they scored four goals in this one? Unfortunately for them, gave up three and sort of were a little bit of a nail-biting situation at the very end. But I thought they were well worth their win and well worth their four goals. Yeah, great spectacle, which I was able to catch up with after the fact because I was driving when it was on. Uh, one of the great things about driving and being able to listen to a game like this is that the time passes very quickly. And I was listening to it. I don't know if people know, but you can, if, if there are German speakers in the audience, you can listen to the games on the, the radio, thanks to IA Day nowadays. And so this is one I listened to on the radio. And uh, Eintracht, yeah, I mean, I was there for the... Yeah, humiliating, if you like, experience on opening night against Bayern and a couple of them also against Hertha, as I mentioned. So the results have taken a bit of time to emerge for Eintracht Frankfurt in this campaign. This was much more like it. I think they have unearthed a gem in Rondal Colomwani, uh, who I think gives them a bit more versatility in attack. Yes. And, I mean, if you see him in, in, in the flesh, if you see him in the stadium, he really can move, you know? Oh, yeah. He's the most mobile striker they've had in ages. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's sort of a joy to watch just his gait, that the way he sort of strides past opponents. So that's a big plus uh, for Eintracht. They were relying just on Boré last season. Goetze, of course, brings know-how and will help them against deeper-sitting opponents, has already to an extent. Kamada, very good player, disappointed that 
it seems he wants to leave the club. They're not going to let him leave the club. But, you know, you don't really want to hear that sort of thing in a Champions League campaign on the back of a Europa League success. Uh, Lindstrom, I like a lot. I think is is one of the, the more entertaining players in the Bundesliga. There's just been a, a slight glass jaw element about the defence. And, of course, they've lost Martin Hinteregger, who was sort of the, the cult hero and, you know, not the, the fastest defender, but somebody who had a real presence. And I think it's been an adjustment for Tuta to be more the, the central figure, although it had been a back three, Oliver Glasner preferring a back three, but they went to a four at the weekend, and that is probably a, a sign of things to come for Eintracht Frankfurt. But, yeah, I mean, I would imagine that they should be pushing for a European place at an absolute minimum. Yep. That's got to be their ambition. Yeah. Let's not talk about next year's European place. Let's talk about this year's European place. They're in the Champions League. I thought they really benefited from that pot one status. They had uh, Sporting Club de Portugal, Olympique de Marseille, and Tottenham Hotspur. Yeah. You know, that being said, you know, that's still a fairly strong group of, of teams with more Champions League experience than Eintracht. I mean, it's going to be tough, but I think they have a fighting chance. Oh, I think they have a fighting chance, yes. And I think uh, nobody is going to relish coming to Frankfurt. That's the one thing, an atmosphere that is almost unrivaled. And it's funny, when I talk to visiting fans who turn up there for the first time, they just go, wow, this, uh, I know you told us this was special, but this is really special. This is almost otherworldly. And, you know, fans are not going to win a game for you, but they certainly can contribute mightily. And I, I think of all the English teams, in a funny kind of way, Spurs were the one team with Frankfurt that made me think that that is possible for them. It's possible for them to, to take points from Tottenham. And then the other two, Sporting and Marseille and Frankfurt, you could imagine, you know, results going any which way on any particular night. But I, I'm with you, Matt. I, I think Frankfurt are in the running there. No guarantees that they come out of the group, but uh, it's certainly makeable, doable. Right. Let's make or do... A little break here, and I will come back in just a moment. Okay, let's crack on with part two of Talking Foosball Direct, part where we talk about the rest of the match day just gone, match day four. I'm Matt Herman here with Derek Ray, and we're about to talk about RB Leipzig's 2-0 win over Wolfsburg. They finally got off the mark. They finally got that first victory. Christopher Nkunku, the man at RB, his goals in the 5th and the 90th minute basically bookended this game. You were on the call, yes. Derek. I, I, I was watching Hertha <laughs> Bayfa Bay at the time. Yeah. Uh, what were your impressions of what came in between those two goals? Well, I'll tell you about the Leipzig angle here, Matt. Obviously, they needed a victory very badly. They hadn't managed to produce one in the early part of the campaign, including the defeat at the hands of Bayern in the Super Cup. So the pressure was on, but they got off to this magnificent start because Wolfsburg conceded a penalty when Maxence Lacroix, I think, was trying to head the ball away, but somehow left his left arm outstretched and the referee Bastian Danker didn't actually see it but VAR picked it up and so an early penalty 
gifted by Wolfsburg, Nkunku stepped up and scored, and the first half was basically all Leipzig. Wolfsburg completely passive, Leipzig could do more or less what they want, didn't create a boatload of chances, but had a lot of possession. Now, in the second half, this is really interesting, the second half it changed completely. Wolfsburg had a go at them and had their best spell of the entire game. Leipzig were then playing much more like the Leipzig of a few years ago, much more in counter-attacking mode. Um, and that was the case for, you know, a fair bit of the second half. This became much sharper, or at least with a sharper edge from a Leipzig angle when Timo Werner came on. He didn't start the game. Apparently, he'd been suffering from flu-like symptoms. So Andre Silva played from the outset instead. But I thought they were better with Werner on. They were more suited to that game. Remember the old days when, you know, the number of goals that Werner scored for Leipzig, a quick ball win around the halfway line, a quick pass, and then, you know, he's off to the races and gets in behind the defence and puts it away. He had chances to do that, couldn't take his chances, but did set one up for Nkunku near the end. And, you know, it was fully deserved. It could have been three or four, really. Uh, And Leipzig will hope this is a portent of things to come because they had started poorly and they've got these big Champions League games coming up. Real Madrid, Shakhtar Donetsk, Celtic in the same group. So, yeah, exciting times. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned, uh, you know, Real Madrid just now. You were you were calling Real Madrid, uh, you know, not not 16 hours ago, I think. Yeah. They got a late win over Espanyol. Did you see anything uh, in, in that game or... I don't know your, your your commentary history this season. I don't know how much Real you've gotten to see. What do you make of their matchup between Real and uh, RB? Fascinating one because Real Madrid give the opposition a chance. You know, there's always a chance for the other team because there's a slight softness about the way they defend at times. Of course, they have in Courtois, I think one of the, the best goalkeepers in the world, and they can call upon him sometimes to bail out teammates when they make mistakes. Eder Militao in particular is mistake prone. I love him as a defender, but he just has a habit of switching off from time to time. So that is something that they can look at. Depends who's at right back, whether uh, or not it's uh, Carvajal or Lucas Vasquez. Lucas Vasquez may be a bit more attack-minded than Carvajal. But um, Real Madrid do use the left-hand side a lot in terms of their attacking. And it's easy to see why when you've got Vinicius Jr., on that side, can do so many amazing things with the ball at his feet. So I think if you're trying to say, are they better? The one area where I think they're going to be better, Real Madrid, is in defensive midfield. So Casemiro is gone, but they have signed Aurelien Chouemani, who I think is a better footballer. You know, Casemiro was very good at, at, you know, holding down the brief that he had. Knew what his role was was a bit of a cartoon character in the eyes of some fans, but I think he played to that a little bit as well. I think he enjoyed that. Chouameni is a different type, and I think he'll help the Real Madrid structure. And of course, we haven't spoken about Karim Benzema, who you know, can punish any defence as he did in the latter stages of this game. But it was hard work in the end for Real Madrid. They had held the lead, they allowed Espanyol back into it, and it was 1-1 going into the last minute or so. 3-1 in the end for Real Madrid. But I think it'll be a test of Leipzig's metal, and certainly I think they're going to have to play better than they have been playing in the early part of the season. But as I said, they'll hope that Saturday was the beginning. Do you mind me leading you down a brief tangent? 
Mm, not at all. Love tangents. All right. Nice. Nice. Um, because so many of the folks listening to this podcast are pretty committed Bundesliga viewers and, uh, you know, watch significantly more of that league than, than others and know your voice uh, through, through that association. Mm. You have been broadcasting La Liga for the past couple of years since ESPN took over that contract. Yeah. First off, how, how have you enjoyed it? And second, what has it made you think maybe – about the Bundesliga in reflection, having seen quite a lot of another league and called it and researched it. It's interesting. Nobody's asked me that um, until now, so I'm, I'm pondering it as uh, as I prepare to answer it. Um, I've enjoyed it. it. It's taken me back in time because I used to broadcast La Liga in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't pretend that my, my first love is not the Bundesliga because the Bundesliga is my first love. But it's nice to compare and contrast. And it is sometimes nice to be able to. It's usually a Sunday game that I do uh, on La Liga for ESPN. And it's nice to be able to have the Bundesliga finished, to sometimes listen to the Sunday games on the radio, catch up with the highlights later, and then um, get your head into La Liga and the the things that strike you Matt are that it is a very different league I mean the Bundesliga has become this if you like this Umschalt league you know Umschalt Fußball you know counter-attacking footballer or at least uh, you know playing well without the ball winning it back quickly and doing something um, once you you get it back in Spain it's it's not so much about that but there are some teams who play that way and they the way teams defend, I think, is quite admirable. There aren't too many who completely shut up shop. They're always looking for a little attacking moment, and they have confidence in themselves to produce that attacking moment. But um, I think for atmosphere, it suffers a bit in comparison with the Bundesliga. I, I still think that um, there is nothing to match the Bundesliga for for pure passion, for the sound that you get, for the feeling that you get inside a stadium. But... I think it's probably helpful. It's probably been helpful for me to be back having this other league to to compare the Bundesliga with and to contrast it with. But as I said, it will always be the Bundesliga first. Rest assured. Okay. Well, then you can come back on the show anytime you want. <laughs> well, that, that was true already. Um, okay. Let, let, let's get back to the to the issues at hand and specifically Wolfsburg. Oh, yeah. not convincing. Again, you, you mentioned they had a spell in the second half where they were trying to do some things, but still not very dangerous. They've got two goals thus far. That is joint worst in the league with, with Hertha. Is Nico Kovac essentially living up to his reputation as a manager who doesn't really care about attacking? Well, I would describe Wolfsburg as the Sorgenkind of the Bundesliga, the, the problem child, if you like, or the... the the team with worries, because I, I'm struggling at the moment to see how they get out of this, having watched them. Yeah, they did create some chances early in the second half, and the substitutes actually helped on that front. Marmouche, when he came on, Brekalo, when he came on, to an extent, Waldschmidt. But it was just very plain, fair, and not much of anything in the first half. It wasn't as though it was dogged defensive play, although um, Van de Ven impressed me, actually, uh, for most of the match. Mickey Van de Ven, who, uh, if you like, is the new John Brooks in central defence, with Brooks having left. And I thought he was definitely the the most eye-catching of the defenders. But they need to have more about them with the squad that they have, because they have good players there. You know, we all know Max Kose. Now, whether he's going to still be there, um, you know, even in a few hours, who knows? Because clearly, they're 
is not a good relationship between Kruse and Kovac, at least not an eye-to-eye sort of relationship. And as you mentioned, Niko Kovac, you know, he's, he's big on fitness, and uh, that's not necessarily Max Kruse, as we know. That's not at all Max Kruse. So this was maybe always going to be uh, oil and water to an extent. So we'll see. Uh, you know, this is a, a one to watch, you know, as it was last season. In a different way, of course, they started so well under Mark van Bommel, and then the result just went the other way. They're going to have to hope that it's um, the opposite of that here. But they've got Kern in the next game, and I'm not sure that they are ideal opponents for Wolfsburg in this frame of mind, because Kern will go there, and whether they play well or play badly, they will certainly be committed and up for it and ready to expose any Wolfsburg weaknesses. I, I think that at the moment, um, the way I see it, Niko Kovac is part of an early trainer discussion, to use the German um, expression, part of a, a discussion about the future of a coach, in this case, Kovac. Yeah, interesting, because uh, you know he's got lots of company down at the bottom of the table, but I think that that certainly is the club that just can't tolerate uh, being down there in, in, in the way that maybe your clubs like, you know, Bochum, Hertha, Schalke, etc. can. Yeah. Okay. Another team who broke through on match day four is uh, Bayer Leverkusen. They were 3-0 winners in Mainz. Uh, first half goal from Ezequiel Palacios, two from Jeremy Frimpong. Saw them through, although things got a little dicey late in yeah. Leverkusen. Pierre Incapier and uh, uh, Mitchell Bacher both got themselves sent off for second yellows on, on pretty poor challenges. I really feel like, Derek, this has been the mystery of the early season. Uh, Leverkusen side that a lot of us looked at as, as certainly Champions League sort of race candidates, if not even better, dripping with quality, just kept finding a way to avoid winning. Is this result going to be a sort of a, a juicer for them? Well, I think that Leverkusen certainly have been in a false position based on the squad. Can't quite believe that they went into the weekend where they were, having lost their first three matches. And understandably, Gerardo Zeoane was going to tighten things up. And that meant three at the back. It meant back to basics. And... It sort of worked, even though it wasn't a great performance. You know, I don't think anybody watching the game would have said, oh, this was Leverkusen absolutely dazzling and back to um, the, the Leverkusen that we saw quite a lot of last season. This was about grinding it out, even though it was 3-0. And yeah, to, to lose in Capier and Backer, not ideal because that now means they have a slight problem on the left-hand side of the defence. And who knows if Daily Sinkgrafen is going to remain with the club. So uh, there are some Baustellen there, some building sites, some construction zones within the Leverkusen squad. But I do have faith in them. Uh, I think eventually they are going to come good. They are too good to be floundering where they are. And, you know, we'll see in the weeks ahead. But this was really important for them. Mm. Well, are, are, they, are they good enough for a Champions League group with uh, Atletico Madrid, Porto and Brugge? Well, I think, again, they've been helped by the draw because, uh, yes, Atletico are good and I think are often, for whatever reason, still underestimated a little bit because they're not Real Madrid, they're not Barcelona, but they're never a team you really want to play. You never really want to say, oh, yeah, fancy my chances against Atletico tonight, you know, because they have the capacity to be very unpleasant opponents and I mean that as a compliment in this case you know they really can take the wind out of your sails but the other teams in the group 
Leverkusen will feel are beatable. They're maybe slight underdogs in terms of getting out of it. But, you know, I, I don't think they need to be fearful. I think it's a question of where they are mentally when these games come around. And I think there are going to be some surprises because we've never had a situation before, Matt, where we've had all these Champions League games crammed into such a short period of time and then difficult league games on the back of it, you know. But, um, you know, it, it's an interesting one uh, for Leverkusen. Yeah, so much about this season with its <laughs> unusual winter slash autumn break is going to be full of surprises, I think. Yeah, no, I, I think so too. I, I think absolutely the case. And um, of course, uh, just to, to go off on a tangent myself on this one, uh, when you think about Leverkusen, and they've been richly praised in the last few years for having the best social media of any mainline Bundesliga club. Or, Shout out Kara Head. I was going to say our friend Kara, <laughs> who absolutely has been the standard setter and they don't have Kara anymore. And is that a coincidence? I'll just leave it hanging out there. Yep, yep. You know, <laughs> if, if they showed that sort of judgment, you know, I don't know. <laughs> okay, so another team who uh, I'd say is pretty popular on social media as to FC Union Berlin, they are actually level on points with Bayern, folks. It's only goal difference that keeps them from being top of the league. They gave Schalke a 6-1 welcome back to the top flight present on Saturday. Uh, it was kind of a wild result in that the Royal Blues, they came out on top of the XG mm, battle, yeah. just not on the actual G scoreboard. How impressed have you been with Union in this young season, Derek? Hugely impressed. I mean, really, I didn't think they'd be able to perform the way they have. And it's a, a massive tribute to everybody at the club from Urs Fischer, the coach who uh, actually got my vote for coach of the year last season. I know that most people would have given it to Christian Streich. But I think considering the obstacles that he faced in terms of the squad, losing Kruse when they did at the midway point of the campaign, I thought they're probably going to fall hard. And they didn't. And here they are making a real fist of it at the start of the season. Oliver Hunert, who's terrific when it comes to recruitment. And quite simply, they know who they are. You know, they, they know who they are. They do their homework and they lose Taiwo Awani and they bring in Jordan, as we're now calling him as Bundesliga commentators. Another little tangent here, Matt. Jordan Sibachu, as he has been known. Jordan Payfok, as Americans have called him. But we are now in the Bundesliga going to be calling him simply Jordan. And I know people are probably going to say, why, why are you just calling him Jordan? Well, it, it's a hot potato, this issue. It, it's one that uh, nobody seems to be able to come up with the right answer to uh, even the player himself, because it's very cryptic in terms of how he answers what his actual name is. And because of German regulations, he can't be Payfok in the Bundesliga because it's not on his passport, on his official documents, even though he wants to be called that for the purposes of the USA. So the compromise is he's going to be Jordan. Yeah, yeah. I saw a clip of him on uh, Football Americas this yeah. week, basically saying that he wants to be Payfok, but also acknowledging there are some limitations that, uh, you know, the, yes. the, the DFL is not in, 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 in agreement with that. So yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, Union, they have European knights to contend with coming up soon. I think that that's a pretty attractive uh, UEFA Europa League group in, in Malmö, Braga, and Saint-Gilois. I mean, if, if nothing else, that's a decent set of away trips. Yeah, it's going to be very memorable for Union fans. They will absolutely relish it again. 
uh, being in Europe and being able to go to some of these venues. And yeah, nobody there who should terrify Union, not with this squad. I'd expect them to get out of that group. Yeah. And speaking of away trips, if anyone hasn't been to Braga or know anything about the stadium in Braga, it is worth a trip, period. It's got a rock face behind one of the goals. Errant shots often come bouncing in off the rock face back into the field of play. It is one of the most architecturally amazing stadiums in world football. So congrats to you, FC Union <laughs> fan. Indeed. Freiburg, another Europa League team in uh, the Bundesliga. They got a 1-0 win over Bochum. That might seem to all of you like a, they just snuck past Bochum. It was certainly that way on the scoreboard, but if hitting the woodwork counted for anything, it would have been a rout. Crazy, lots of crazy stuff in that game. It was driving rain for, for a good portion of the game. Freiburg have not Olympiakos and Arabah from Azerbaijan on their docket. That also strikes me as, as a group that uh, they should be really in with a shout at. Yeah, and it was disappointing for Freiburg when last they were in Europe, but they didn't make it into the group stage at all. Now they are, and they're a better squad. And I've said this from the start the season, Matt, I think the squad is significantly better than it was in the last campaign. And when you bring in somebody like Michael Gregorich, you're bringing somebody in with know-how who was in great form for Augsburg in the second half of the last campaign and has carried that into his short time so far with Freiburg. You, of course, still have Vincenzo Grifo, who's the man for assists, for dead ball deliveries. Günther, the inspirational captain. People like Chico Höfler. And Rizzo Doan, another really good enrichment. And to get Matthias Ginter, I think it's a huge coup. You know, it's one thing to lose Nico Schlotterbeck. They were always going to, in all likelihood, lose Nico Schlotterbeck. But to be able to bring back Ginter, uh, somebody who's from the area, somebody who's content to be there now, not looking to go anywhere else at this point in his career, I think there's great balance. I think they have one of the best coaches anywhere uh, in Christian Streich, and Europe will be a big priority for them. Yeah, I, I definitely wish them well and think they will have... Uh also some some fun away trips. One last European team to talk about, uh, and, and they're making us break our usual format of relegating nil-nil results to the very end of the show, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, FC Köln, they were nil-nil, uh, you know, drawers against uh, Falfe Stuttgart. I guess it's also the case that we put it second to last and said last, because this was a fairly entertaining game, actually. Anyway, Cologne, they, they have partisan Belgrade, Nice, and Asta FC Slovacko or mm -hmm. Slovacko. I yeah. mean, I ask, I asked Mr. Pronunciation about that one. Might trip some folks up because it's actually in Czechia and not in Slovakia, as the name might suggest. Is it, is it Slovacka or Slovatska? I have to actually look and see how it's spelled, first of all, because if it has the, um, the, the symbol over the, over the, the C, so no, it doesn't have the symbol over the C, so it would be Slovatsko. Okay. Good we're on the same page with that. No. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Cologne, uh, I thought that they were probably maybe the better or, or sort of more ambitious of the two sides in this game on the weekend. But Stuttgart very easily could have won the game as well. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, to be honest, it was, and I'm speaking here as a bit of a, a current sympathiser, it wasn't the prettiest game to my eyes. I, I thought it was very towsy. Obviously, you had Pfeiffer getting sent off, but Curran didn't really take advantage of that situation. Pellegrino Matarazzo getting himself sent off, which yeah. sort of added to the, yeah, the, the theatre of it. Muna making a great save near the end. So you've got to give him credit for that. And Schwebe, who um, I think is a... a top goalkeeper, Curran, very lucky to have him in fabulous form. So in a sense, I think Curran slightly got away with it because they weren't at their best, but they still got a point. A um, little bit worried about Chabot, who got injured, and we'll see You know what the story is there, uh, what Curran may or may not have to do. But you know, the, to be picking up a point from a game like that when you haven't played all that well, okay, yeah, against 10 men for a reasonable chunk, but We'll take it. Sure, sure. All right, we got one final game to mention. That is Hoffenheim's 1-0 win over Augsburg. You know, Hoffenheim now, just just a point off the top of the league. I think we'll probably have to talk about them in the coming weeks if they keep hanging around. But I don't think this week is going to be that week. I guess the one notable thing, at least from a listener perspective, those in, in the United States, Ricardo Pepe got his first start of the season. Yeah. Lots of hope uh, uh, surrounding that. Not a lot of payoff. He was uh, subbed off after 56 minutes. He was given a very poor mark by kicker. Yeah. Augsburg apparently shopping for another striker. This sounds pretty bad. It's not a great situation that he's in because he's not first choice and they had to play him at the weekend for a variety of reasons and he underwhelmed. And I get into discussions on social media with American fans about this all the time. The thing I hear all the time is, well, no striker would be able to prosper in that system. You know, it's just basically he's on a hiding to nothing. And of course, it was a different coach last season, um, Markus Weinziel, but Michael Gregorich did pretty well on that system. So it can be done. It's maybe not ideal for a young player trying to find his way in the Bundesliga but this was the choice he made this was the choice Augsburg made and Ermadin Demirovic who is not a prolific goal scorer is ahead of him in the pecking order and as you said you know Pepe did not do it when he got his chance at the weekend and so yeah I, I, I'm really not sure I, I, I'm not sure I can't look at the situation uh, analytically right now and being honest about it and say I think Pepe's in a good place I, I'm not sure he is and uh, I'm really having a devil of a time wondering how that's going to change how he's going to get himself in contention to to be a first choice striker for Augsburg Yep, I think he um, is in some real danger of uh, playing or, or not playing, as it were, himself off of the, the U.S. men's national team as they uh, get ready to go to the World Cup. Yeah, I think that is something that has to be looked at. And, you know, I'm sure there are some who are saying he shouldn't have made the move uh, when he did to the club that he did. It was an awful lot of money, an awful lot of pressure, but the signs are not there yet. And yeah, you know, Kicker gave him a five, the lowest you can get is a six. Nobody else really got great marks, but it was the joint worst rating. And um, I watched a little bit of it last night when I got in. And uh, yeah, it, it was, was nothing to write home about. All right, that is it for this edition of Talking Foosball Direct, which was produced, as always, by Aidan Rantoul. What a treat to have you back on here, Derek. Oh, a treat for me, Matt. Thank you very much. It's always great to be on with you, to get into detail in terms of some of these stories. So I'm sure we'll do it again very soon. Yeah, yeah. The details, the stories, that's that's what the true Bundesliga fan is craving. 
and I wish we could get a little bit more of it here in the English language media. We're doing our little, little part. Uh, you can, of course, find Derek on Twitter at Raycom. Uh, if you want to contact me over there, I'm at Mr. Matt Herman. Talking Foosball Extra will be coming up later on in the week with Nick Vildhagen. This is Nick Nixon, all y'all.